there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Tonight's scripture reading comes from Exodus 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites." And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. This is the word of the Lord. Would y'all pray with me? Father, we're grateful for your word. God, it has already been stated tonight, God, that you would convict our hearts. God, that you would speak to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Oxano. Tonight, we are continuing our series in the Minor Prophets, our series called Reckoning and restoration. Give you guys a little bit of a foretaste here. It's going to be a lot more reckoning than restoration tonight, but there will undoubtedly be restoration at the end. We're going to be in the book of Habakkuk. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles. And we've also got these study guides that Blake did for us last week that we're also going to be doing this week to kind of help you as we, in Blake's words, take a 30,000 foot view over the three chapters of Habakkuk. Uh, There's a lot of material to get to, and so we're going to jump right into it. But the theme of Habakkuk is the God who inspires faith in crises. Notice that that word is plural. It's not the God who inspires faith in crisis, but in crises, because uh, I don't know about you, but whenever crisis strikes, it it seems like uh, it's it's more than just one thing, right? Everything is on fire at once. And that is certainly the disposition of the prophet Habakkuk. So, If you come in tonight burdened by crises in your life, we have a word of comfort to you. The background of the prophet Habakkuk is that he prophesied during the decline and the fall of Judah. This book is a collection of prophecies over a long period of spiritual and moral decline as Habakkuk struggled with difficult questions. So this isn't just a snapshot into his life and ministry. Actually, this is a relatively unknown prophet. We don't know what his name means in Hebrew. We don't know a whole lot about the context around what type of person that he was other than what is revealed in this text. So he's, he's kind of an anonymous person. And I don't know about you, but I relate to that. And he struggles with these difficult questions after 
Israel is coming off of this time of uh, a spiritual high, right? The, the King Josiah brings all of these reforms to Israel, and then uh, he lives long enough to see that start to taper off. And not only that, but there's this impending threat of an empire by the name of Babylon. Rather than speaking for God like other prophets, Habakkuk speaks to God about his people and nation. So this is, this is a dialogue, right? And there's two types of prophecy in Scripture. There's foretelling and there's forthtelling, right? Foretelling is predicting the future. That's, that's what we kind of think of when we hear prophet. But the vast majority of prophecy in Scripture is forthtelling, right? Uh, calling people out for uh, certain cultural sins that we'll talk about tonight or um, giving an anointed word to people. That's more, and the majority of Scripture is forthtelling. And so uh, Habakkuk speaks to God and has this honest dialogue with God. And we start in chapter 1 where Habakkuk is making deposits in the divine suggestion box. Okay? He's, he's got some complaints for God. This is, in Scripture, what we call lament. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and will you not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. That word before me, it literally translates to in my face. Involuntarily just displayed in front of me. I can't look away from it. And we, we think about a, a social and a cultural reckoning. I think that we can relate to the prophet Habakkuk because we have these things in our pocket. They're constantly feeding us with the disasters and catastrophes of the world. There was this time at the height of the pandemic when all the distractions were taken away. People were working remote. Sports were canceled. And all of a sudden, people started to become aware of injustices, started to become aware of historic and systemic issues. We started to talk about them. And so we had this, we lived through this idea of a social reckoning. You know, with how interconnected our world is, a lot of times we are inundated with things that we have no agency to address. And so when we have no agency to address all these things, it leaves us with anxiety. It leaves us with despair and hopelessness. And this is the place that Habakkuk is in. And he has this question, is God still good when there's so much evil in the world? We're surrounded by all these amplified horrors. Is God still good when it seems like evil is winning the day? You know, this question is like Genesis 1-1 for the deconstructing mind. Right? This is usually the starting place where we begin to unravel faith. But as we're going to talk about in the life of Habakkuk, this is a starting point for strengthening his faith. 
that this is a word to the disillusioned, to the discouraged, and to the disappointed. And God, in his grace, responds to Habakkuk's question. Verse 5 says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now here's where context is really important. Because I've heard this verse taken wildly out of context before. Right, that this is going to be some good news that's following this. But I assure you there's only bad news that's about to follow. It says, For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, also known as the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. So in other words, they are the arbiters of truth in their world. Right? They are the arbiters of justice. And so whatever they want to do, they basically do. And in this kind of reap what you sow moment to Israel, those people who live by violence, as Habakkuk complained about, they will also be ones to die by it. That God escalates Habakkuk's national complaint to his international perspective. That God's perspective is infinite and eternal. And in God's infinite wisdom and justice, he is raising up Babylon to judge Israel. And that is bad news. So in response to this bad news, Habakkuk has his second round of depositing in the divine suggestion box, his complaint. He says, Babylon is even worse than Israel. Are you kidding me? All the things I complained about with Israel, Babylon does twice as worse. They're twice as bad. God, why would you let this happen? You know, I think before we, we pile on Habakkuk here, I think we could probably relate to this sentiment, right, that we as Christians replicate this type of behavior. Maybe it's our, our lesser of the evils argument, to which I would submit to you the words of Charles Spurgeon, of two evils, choose neither. Or maybe like a, a whataboutism, right? Well, I'm, I'm, at least I'm not as bad as blank. Or at least I'm better than such and such. Or, well, you know, we're not doing things that bad over here as they are over there on my side. And so we, we have this pitfall of moral relativism that Habakkuk is falling into here. It's a treacherous place to be. Because are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? He concludes his complaint. So he think he's, he's, he's really delivered a compelling point to God. He says that he will stand as one on the watchtower, anxious for God's reply. And God makes him wait for a while for this one. As we said, this is over a long period of time. So moving on into chapter 2, verses 2 through 20, God's second response says, The Lord answered me, 
Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. There's numerous New Testament authors who've quoted this. And if you want a a great idea for a paper, uh, religion majors out there, this is a great one. This is a great one to write on. But living by faith in our context, we might do well to to be aware of this reality, that, that living by faith is not just lip service. It's not just saying and making a confession and profession of our faith, but it's action. It's lived out. See, the book of James speaks to this in in chapter 1, verse 27. says that true religion is this, that we look after the orphans and the widows and their distressed, the vulnerable among us, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so God calls out five woes for the things on which his wrath is coming, things that would pollute us by the world. This is the egregious things that that Babylon is doing and certainly not exhaustive. But woes are an expression of grief over sin. These are corporate sins of Babylon and any nation, for that matter, that overestimates and idolizes their greatness. The first thing they did was plundering by aggression. As we talked about earlier, that they would take what is not theirs because they can and they want to. The second woe is that they had engaged in predatory economic practices, that they're ensnaring people in debt, that they are rigging the system to oppress the poor, Third is that they engaged in slavery. Verses 12 through 14 say, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, just like in the story of Cain and Abel, where Abel's blood cried out to God. The blood of the oppressed by Babylon is crying out to the Lord. There's corruption in leadership. That they're overindulging in alcohol, they're engaging in sexual favors, they're neglecting their duties as civil leaders. And lastly, they're idolatrous. They've created fashioned, worthless idols to worship. As we've enumerated this list, you might think, man, Babylon is a really terrible place. I think the principle of looking back on human history is this, is that all nations eventually become like Babylon. And so before we put our place as the judge, I think we need to think through the ways... How are we perpetuating this like Babylon? How are we complicit? Take a look in the mirror and do some self-examination. 
as a culture, as individuals? Is there exploitation, violence against our fellow image bearers, idolatry? There's a really great song by Josh Garrels. It's called Zion and Babylon. I encourage you, add that to your playlist, listen to it, um, reflect on these things. Um, just a beautiful expression of art. Of how we can be complicit in this and how ultimately Jesus redeems. And that is the place where Habakkuk gets to in chapter 3. That we don't stay in the pit of despair of the injustices and the exploitation and the evil in the world. But we see God's restoration at work. And so Habakkuk in chapter 3 has this prayer of proclamation proclaiming back to God what he has already declared. In the first part, he's pleading for mercy. He says, O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So while he's struggling with these hard truths that God is handing down of what he's going to do and how he's going to work sovereignly in the course of human history, he says, in your wrath, remember mercy. I think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus struggled with how God was going to bring his justice because it was going to come through the cross. But the one righteousness, the, the one righteous one, he said, not, your, not my will be done, but yours be done. So in the second part of Habakkuk's prayer, we see God appear in power. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Then this passage goes on to describe the past exodus, the one that Cameron read about. That there is this man named Moses who is a fugitive from justice, mind you, in the wilderness, and God calls out to him from a burning bush. He says, Moses, I'm going to send you. He says that I've seen, I've heard, I know about the affliction. I've come down to deliver my people. And so as Habakkuk looked back at the past exodus, he proclaimed a future one that's to come, the restoration of God. See, Habakkuk demonstrates how lamenting harsh realities strengthens our faith in God's ultimate deliverance. He entrusts himself to a personal God that we can take solace in the fact that God has seen, heard, knows, and has come down to deliver us. I think that was fulfilled in the person of Christ but yet in the fullness of time, there is another exodus that Jesus is coming down to 
fully and finally deliver us. So being in this place of bookends like Habakkuk, we can relate. So about the woes that we talked about in last chapter, how does God deal with those? Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This word for mourn, it doesn't just mean grieving over something sad that's happened. More specifically, the word for mourn there, pentheo, refers to a sustained grief over sin, especially over sin. Right, that we would grieve the evil and the sin in our own hearts and the world around us. And the promise for those who mourn over sin is that they would be comforted. Right, that God would come alongside them. That we would have God's very presence with us. And that's the promise of the Exodus too. Right, that, that God is a dynamically present God who would come to be and dwell with his people. He meets us in the pit of despair and takes it upon himself and delivers us out of it. And so we, we conclude with hopeful praise. And the prophet ends on a cliffhanger. He says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So I want to explain this prophetic imagery to you. It's a beautiful sermon in a picture. But there is a type of mountain goat called the ibex. And if you'll go ahead and throw that picture up there. Check these guys out. This is a dam in Italy that they're scaling and um, it's a very perilous and treacherous place to be, right? But they have this adaptation in their, in their heels, their hinds feet, as this passage said, where they have split hooves with pads. Now, they're not just climbing the wall because, like, parkour, you know, or, um, you know, just because they can, right? They're climbing that dam because there's salt deposits, and minerals are in those salts, that are essential to their nervous system functioning. And so they incur this great risk going out there, but they have to do it for survival, right? And so this is the image that Habakkuk leaves for us, right? That we have hind's feet to make us tread on high places. It's not, it's not optional, right? It's involuntary. It's something that they have to do. And so spiritually, we examine these difficult questions. We go through and confront these harsh realities in our own lives so that our faith could be strengthened. So that the richness of our relationship with God can be fully expressed. So as you think about the struggles and the crises in your life, think about 
the difficult seasons that you've walked through, maybe remember, like the prophet Habakkuk, that God has given us hides, feet, to tread on our high places. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word, and uh, God, for all the beautiful ways that um, communicates truth to us, God, that you are the God of our salvation, God, that you are the God who deals with and confronts sin, God, that you sit above the nations, and God, though they may rage, you are in control. So God, we, we don't worship with neat platitudes. God, we, we come with difficult questions. And God, you meet us with your hope. You meet us in the person of Jesus Christ who has dealt fully and finally with all sin on the cross. And so God, as we wait for the there and then, I pray that in the here and now, God, that we would see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.